the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. This is the Georgine Rice Show. My name is Mike Leaf, filling in for Georgine, and I'm happy to serve as Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, now on 106.3 FM in East Portland and Vancouver, 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860, the answer KPAM, La Patrona 1640, 93.1 El Rey and 104.1 The Fish. And I'm also truly grateful to host our ministry spotlight program, Difference Makers, airing at 1 p.m. Fridays and Saturdays on True Talk 800, and also Saturday afternoons at 1 on 93.9 KPDQ. I'd love to talk with you about getting more people back to your church, sharing about your ministry through our free online church directory and our church service live stream directory, expanding your ministry or business beyond your walls, becoming more known as an authority in your field, and getting publicized on the radio, building awareness of your company or outreach by hosting our events at your location at no risk to you, getting your message directly to your target audience through the powerful online tools of Salem Surround, and most importantly, if your ministry leader or pastor could use a phone call, a word of encouragement, a cup of coffee, or connection to others, please email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. We enjoy the teachings of A New Beginning every weekday morning at 6 on 93.9 KPDQ. And we're speaking with Pastor Greg Laurie, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California and author of more than 70 books. He's also the featured speaker at the Harvest Crusades large-scale evangelistic events. And Greg, you've been preaching for how long now? <laughs> I'm closing in on 50 years. Now, let me explain. I started when I was five, and I had a very small little pulpit, little tiny microphone, and I was in diapers, and my first message was based on the passage where Paul says, we shall all be changed. Not really. But I have been preaching for 50 years. I'm 69 years old, so I've been doing this for a while. Well, we're here to speak about your book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, subtitled The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. The first thing people may notice about the title is that the name of Jesus is included among some seemingly dissimilar names, Bob Dylan, John Lennon, Alice Cooper. It's almost like a civil service exam. Pick the one that doesn't belong. <laughs> yes. Well, Go to the Bible and look at Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. It fits because my point is take these iconic people and I want to tell you about their spiritual journeys. That's a spiritual biography of rock and roll. And it has some surprising revelations about maybe your favorite pop a rock star, things you did not know about them, specifically in the area of their search for God. For instance, take John Lennon. Of course, we all remember his famous statement when he said, the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And let me just address that for a moment. 
Uh, to a generation of people at that moment in time, there was some truth to that. And I would include myself as a young person because I knew nothing of Jesus, but I knew everything about the Beatles. And Lennon went on to try to explain it, saying, well, if I would have said television is more popular than Jesus, there wouldn't have been this controversy or uproar. But things changed in the life of John Lennon after he made that statement. And we explore those things in the book. Now, I'm not suggesting John Lennon was a Christian at the end of his life, but I have to point this out. There is a moment in time when John Lennon made a profession of faith to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only that, he recorded two gospel songs that you can find online if you search for them. Now, it was not a long-lasting thing, but it was very big to him. He wrote about it extensively in his diary. But then he seemed to fall away from that, but in some ways, toward the end of his life, which was a very tragic end, you see that he mentioned some of those things again. So here's my point. John Lennon made a profession of faith earlier in his life. He was tragically gunned down in New York City by Mark David Chapman. He was conscious after he was shot. He was being driven to the hospital, and the police officer driving him said, do you know who you are? And Lennon replied, yes, I do. If he was conscious and aware, if John Lennon called out to Jesus Christ in the final moments of this life, would his prayer have been heard? The answer is yes. We think of the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I wrote this book to give encouragement and hope to people out there who will read it, who have a loved one that is not a Christian. They don't seem like they would ever become a Christian. It might be your husband or wife or your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or a coworker or a friend. And you will see in this book, as you explore the lives of those who have been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and in many cases, been the T-shirt, that they climbed to the top of the mountain and there was nothing there. So should it surprise us that these people are searching for a deeper meaning in life? You see, when you are thinking, if only I was rich, if only I was famous, if only I had a record, or if only I filled a you know a stadium with a bunch of people chanting my name, I would be happy. These people have experienced it. They know that's not the answer. So many of them have gone on a deep search for God. So there's a lot here that may surprise you. Now, at first blush, it's interesting that a pastor is writing a book about rock and roll and rock musicians. It seems like an unlikely pairing. Well, let me just say that I've always loved music. I've always loved rock and roll. To quote the great theologian Joan Jett, I love rock and roll. And so I've always been aware of rock. I've always listened to rock. I I kind of became aware of it more as a young man watching the Beatles. But in this book, this is not glorifying rock music or rock musicians. This is a book that is exploring the lives of people that have basically experienced everything this world has to offer and have found it empty. It's sort of a modern version of the story of Solomon, who had everything this world offers. And then he concluded it was all emptiness. It was like chasing the wind. It was like a bubble that bursts. 
And so, you know, when you've climbed to the top of the mountain and you've been all that in a bag of chips, when, when you've been on a lunchbox or on a T-shirt or people, you know, have your poster hung in their room, you realize how empty all of that is. So I explore these stories. One fascinating section of the book is about the so-called 27 Club. Ever heard about that? These are artists who are very well known, who all tragically died at the age of 27. Jimi Hendrix died at the age of 27. So did Janis Joplin. You have to put Jim Morrison in there as well. Fast forward a number of years and you put Amy Winehouse in there, along with Kurt Cobain, people that had it all and yet died at the very young age of 27. So I sort of show the birth of rock, the growth of rock, the pinnacle of rock in the 60s and 70s, and then the just complete collapse of so many of these iconic people. But then I explore the lives of those rock stars who have come to Jesus Christ and are following him. People I've gotten to know personally, like Dion DiMucci of Dion and the Belmonts, Richie Fure of the Buffalo Springfield and Poco, and Alice Cooper, who I've interviewed multiple times. This is a guy that has experienced all that this world has to offer and has found it empty and now is following Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Pastor Greg Laurie. Make sure to listen to A New Beginning every weekday morning at 6 on 93.9 KPDQ. More from Greg Laurie coming up next. I'm Mike Lee, and this is The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm Mike Lee filling in. We're speaking with Pastor Greg Laurie. You know, Greg, I'm not sure how we can relate to the lives of these musicians and rock stars. I've tried to imagine what it must be like to be extremely famous, you know, where you can't even go to the grocery store without a mob developing. Can't even open your blinds for fear of paparazzi with telephoto lenses. And that's the point you make in the book. These music stars have a lot of stuff, but they've got a lot of stress also. Yes, they really do. I mean, it's been said, careful what you wish for, you might get it. And these are people that got what they wished for, and then it even went beyond their wildest dreams. But the problem is the dreams, in many cases, turn into a horrible nightmare. You know, when you look at the founders of rock, if you will, uh, they called them the Millionaire Quartet. Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Uh, They were all produced by a man named Sam Phillips, who had Sun Records. These guys came from abject poverty in some cases. They were just country boys. All of them was sort of a gospel foundation. All of them were taken to church as young men, and of course, they all rebelled against it. But interestingly, every one of those founders ultimately came to realize they needed to turn to Jesus. Elvis struggled through the years. He often sang gospel songs. There's a lot of fascinating revelations about Elvis Presley in this book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis is the only one alive still of the four, but in recent interviews, he's talked about his need to get right with God. And of course, Johnny Cash became very strong in his faith. I wrote a whole book about him, as a matter of fact, called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. And then finally, Carl Perkins, who wrote 
Blue Suede Shoes, and other great songs. He was a raging alcoholic and actually came to the Lord while he was on tour with Johnny Cash and took his bottle of booze and threw it into the ocean and committed his life to Christ and served the Lord for the final years of his life. So, yeah, these guys experienced it, and in some cases, girls experienced it and saw the emptiness of it. So this is a very honest book. So I start the book with these words. There'll be three surprises when we get to heaven. Number one, some of the people we thought would be there won't be there. Number two, some of the people we never thought would be there will be there. Surprise number three, you'll be there. So these are some of the people you never thought would be there who will be there. Because no one is beyond the reach of God. Well, we're talking with Pastor Greg Laurie about his new book called Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. Pastor Greg, your book is very balanced in its look at artists who flamed out and artists whose careers caught fire and artists who became on fire for Christ. You mentioned Bob Dylan, who released three albums with Christian content, but has been sort of an enigma that no one can quite figure out. Yes, Bob Dylan is surely an enigma. He always has been, and I suspect he always will be. Dylan is beyond just a musician. Dylan is iconic. He influenced so many other artists, most notably the Beatles. John Lennon admitted that a number of the songs he wrote were modeled after Bob Dylan songs. Jimi Hendrix recorded Bob Dylan. The Birds recorded Bob Dylan. He was such a man of influence, and that's why it was such a shock to everyone when Bob Dylan came out with a record that was called Slow Train Coming and spoke boldly about his faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that Bob Dylan had a genuine conversion. And for many fans of rock, it was the rock version of the conversion of Paul on the Damascus Road. Dylan went on to record three beautiful gospel records. And I happen to think that Slow Train Coming was some of the finest work he had ever done. But anyway, in his concerts, he started talking about his faith in Jesus Christ. Effectively, Dylan was preaching. I witnessed this firsthand. Kathy, my wife, and I went down to Santa Monica, saw him there in concert. It was not a full uh, room. And there were people yelling out at him, play the old songs. We don't want to hear this. And Dylan was actually trying to articulate his faith. So after his third gospel record, he just stopped talking about it. So some people concluded he didn't believe it anymore and that he had walked away from it and, in fact, returned to his Jewish roots because they could not believe that he could be a Jewish man following Jesus Christ. Well, I don't see any indication in my deep dive into the life and career of Dylan that would indicate to me that he has abandoned his faith. Uh, one of his more recent records, which was a collection of Christmas songs, uh, somebody interviewing him said, it almost sounds like you believe the words of these songs and the way you sing them. And Dylan's response was, well, I do. So I think that Bob Dylan is what I would call a work in progress. You know, there are people that curse God, rebel against God, never acknowledge God. And you can pretty safely say that as a non-believer, but they're not beyond hope and you should keep praying for them. But then there are some who've made a profession of faith. They seem to have had a lapse or they've fallen, but don't write them off so quickly. I call them a work in progress. Then there are others who have made a profession of faith and are still walking with the Lord. Case in point, Dan DiMucci made a commitment to Christ years ago, and he's still walking with Jesus Christ today. Alice Cooper 
I was really addicted to drugs and alcohol, and his life was going downhill fast. He could have so easily been another statistic of a rock star dying of an overdose, but he made a commitment to Christ. He got clean and sober, and he has been walking with the Lord for well over 30 years now. So I explore many more stories of rock stars, and we get into some of the current artists today who've made professions of faith as well, like Kanye West and Justin Bieber and others. And so we need to be praying for these iconic rock stars who have had so much success and pray that God gets hold of them. And also pray that the Lord would cause them to use their massive platforms for his glory and talk about Jesus Christ. But I wrote this book to show you sort of a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to have that kind of success, also to show you the challenges they face, the temptations they have to deal with, but also the power of God to transform people that have hit rock bottom, most notably Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper, at one point in his life, was the number one rock star in the world. And he became so involved with drugs, specifically cocaine, it looked like surely he was going to overdose. His wife, Cheryl, left him. He told me this personally. She left him. He had a, a rock of cocaine the size of a softball. He put his wife's dresses over the window so no one could see in his house. And he started to snort that rock of cocaine. And he became so out of it. He looked in the mirror, and there was blood coming out of his eyes. Alice said to me, I'm not sure if it was a hallucination or if it was actually happened, but I knew I was going to die. And he said, and it was at that moment, I called out to God, and God heard my prayer and transformed him. And now when you talk to Alice Cooper today, you can't believe he lived that life. He's such a transformed person. Let me ask you, in researching the book and writing it, Why do you suppose rock stars and, for that matter, celebrities of all different stripes, why do they seem to self-destruct so often, Greg? Mm. I think a lot of these folks are are damaged goods. Uh, So many of them come from broken homes. So many of them come from horrible backgrounds or they come from horrible poverty or something else. And and they want to be noticed. They want their life to matter. They want their life to have meaning. And and I think they're actually searching for fulfillment through fame and fortune. They're thinking, if I could one day be famous, if I could one day live in a mansion, if I could one day drive a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari or whatever it is, if I one day had people chanting my name, that would bring happiness. And of course, that's not true. And they climb to the top of the mountain and they find out there's nothing there. So I think many of them are really just on a search for the meaning of life, but they're born with a talent as a singer, as an actor, as a performer of some kind. And so many of them rocket quickly to the top, and that is like the worst thing that can happen when you don't have a support structure to help you deal with all that adulation, fame and success, and all that money you make. I mean, I know it's a cliche when we read the stories of these folks that just spend money like crazy and and they find themselves bankrupt and in trouble, well, they, they're not prepared for that kind of a life. They just like to sing or, or they like to perform or they like to do something else. And then they have this incredible success that can be absolutely, in many cases, devastating to them. Pastor Greg Laurie is our very special guest. 
More from Greg Laurie coming up next. My name is Mike Lee, filling in on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. This is Mike Lee in for Georgine. Pastor Greg Laurie is our very special guest. Greg, I'd like to read something from your book, if I may. It's in the section talking about prints, and you write, quote, Contrary to popular belief, adversity is not the greatest test of character. Overnight success is. Just ask Des Dickerson, who was Prince's dazzling lead guitarist from 78 to 83, who said, Fame was like this vertical takeoff, and suddenly there are more people around you. Oh, we have roadies now? Oh, we have bodyguards now? And they're there for a reason, too. We experienced many riots. We couldn't walk down the street, and they had that cordoned off the floor of our hotel. What that does to your head is beyond description, and what it does to the human psyche is a whole other thing. There's this internal mechanism that unconsciously begins to take form, and your equilibrium gets so skewed that you find yourself doing and saying things that aren't you. Get this, you become your own press release. I thought that was very telling. Yeah, that's very insightful, and that's written by someone who knows what they're talking about. And think about Prince himself. I mean, this incredibly talented man died of a drug overdose. I mean, so many have died of drug overdoses. You would have thought that Prince would have said, hey, my friend Michael Jackson died this way. Hey, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, and Janis Joplin died this way. Hey, Chester Bennington died this way. He actually took his own life. I don't want to die that way, but that's exactly how he died. And I think people take drugs to numb the pain because they just don't know how to live with this altered state of reality they find themselves in. They need Jesus. And I think so many people look to these rock stars saying, oh, I wish I was them. No, you you should not wish you were them. But you have your challenges. You have your pressures. And really, Christ is the answer for everyone. He's the answer for the rock star. He's the answer for the unknown person. He's the answer for the billionaire. He's the answer for the person that doesn't have two pennies to rub together. He's the answer for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every person. So I've written this book to say no one is beyond the reach of God. Don't stop praying. Don't give up on these people. You know, I think about electronic dance music DJ Avicii. His real name was Tim Bergling. Avicii had global success. Thousands of people would come to his rave concerts and thought he was the greatest thing ever. But Avicii was a young man who, according to his parents, was searching for peace and the meaning of life. Tragically, he began to drink extensively, and his liver was failing, and the doctor told him he had to cease and desist from drinking or he would die. He's still a very young guy. And then he made somewhat of a recovery and retired from his career and then ended up taking his own life in the worst way imaginable. But I think a lot of these guys are searching for peace and meaning. Why are they here on this earth? And really, we all are when you get down to it, except these people have had all the success this world offers and have realized how empty it is. I explore the lives of a lot of rock stars, past, present, and ones that are emerging on the scene right now. So it's not just about rock music. It's just about 
this. Don't take the wrong course in life. Don't think that things will fill that void in your life, or a career will do it, or success will do it, or sex will do it, or any other thing. What you really want, what you really need is a relationship with God. And we have a lot of rock stars that we talked to for this book and we interviewed that will tell you that from personal experience. As always, Christ is the answer. Well, we're talking about your new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Let me ask you this, Greg. What is it that drives your interest in cultural icons, especially in the music industry? I've always been a fan of pop culture, always been interested in it. And you have to understand that God has called me to be an evangelist. An evangelist builds bridges to the culture he lives in or she lives in. Take Paul on Mars Hill, recorded in Acts 17. At that time, Athens was the cultural and intellectual center of the planet. It also was a city that had thousands of altars erected to various idols, various gods that they worship. So Paul went sightseeing and took in the sights and sounds of Athens. And the Bible says his spirit was disturbed. And so he got up in front of the people in the town square there, effectively the Areopagus, and began to speak to them. But it's interesting how he started. He said, men of Athens, I perceive that you are spiritual. One translation says religious. We might say today, I see you're into spirituality. Then Paul quoted their own poets to build a bridge to the message that was based on the gospel. So I take this concept and I use it in my preaching. I'll often start one of my evangelistic messages uh, that I would do at one of our events that we call Harvest Crusades. And I might start by quoting a movie star, quoting a rock star, quoting a billionaire, saying something that lines up with what the Bible tells us. As an example, I would quote actor Jim Carrey, who would say, I wish everyone could be rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would realize that's not the answer. Now, I'm not basing my message on what actors or rock stars say, but I use that to build a bridge to my listener, and then I tell them what the Bible says. Okay, so now, shift gears over to this book I've written titled, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. So I'm exploring the lives of these people who have had it all, who've been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt, and in some cases have been the t-shirt, and I'm showing through their lives that the things this culture offers are not really going to meet the deepest needs of our life. Success isn't going to do it. A new record isn't going to do it. Global fame isn't going to do it. A bunch of cars or a mansion, that won't do it. A bunch of girls, uh, that won't do it. No, they need Jesus. And I tell the stories of those that found the answer they were looking for and became believers. People like Richie Fure, Carrie Livgren of Kansas, Alice Cooper, Dion DiMucci, Roger McGuinn of The Birds, and many others. And then I also tell the tragic stories of those that did not find the answer and how their lives ended, like Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse and Chester Bennington, and the list just goes on. So it's a book that shows what happens when you make the right and the wrong choices. But ultimately, it's a book that I think will offer hope and say to you, there is no one that you know that is beyond the reach of God. 
You know, Greg, some might look at all the trouble that secular music artists get into and say, yeah, that's that's why I don't even listen to that crowd anymore. But often their struggles are common struggles. And there are some things we can learn from them. Isn't that right? Oh, sure. These are just people. When the day is done and they go behind the closed doors of where they live, they're just regular people like you and I are. They have the same struggles. They have the same insecurities. They have the, they have the same questions. And just because they have all these things doesn't mean that they're happy. In fact, that's why so many of them turn to drugs or other things because they're not finding the fulfillment in the things they may have thought they would find fulfillment in. A lady wrote a book talking about hitting the high note, and she referenced uh, different people who had great success in their careers, like Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. And she said the reason they turned to drugs is because they couldn't hit the high note anymore. And by that, she was not speaking of literally hitting a high note but they couldn't maintain that level of excitement and euphoria that they may have experienced when it first started for them. You sort of adjust to that. Uh, you become acclimated to that. So then you say, what is the next high note? What's the next accomplishment? What is the next mountain to conquer? Then you conquer that. Then you say, well, what's the next thing to do? What's the next car I should drive? Or what's the next house I should live in? Or houses I should buy? Or yacht I should have? Then you accomplish that. You say, what's in the, and on and on it goes. And it's just empty, empty, empty. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. It was Malcolm Muggeridge who once said, all news is old news happening to new people. And you would think that rock stars would look at the lives of other rock stars who have crashed and burned and say, I'm not going to do that. But yet so many of them do. So it's a story of people who are searching, but many of them have found the Lord. Tragically, many of them have not found the Lord. So this book looks at both sides of that and what happens with the decisions you make in life. I think, though, ultimately, it will be a very encouraging book for you to not give up praying for people you know that are not yet believers. And listen, this would be an excellent book to give to anyone you know who is not a believer, but they're a fan of rock music, because I think this book will really speak to them. Make sure to listen to Pastor Greg Laurie weekday mornings at 6 on 93.9 KPDQ. More from Greg Laurie coming up next. Pinch it in for Georgine. I'm Mike Lee on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Thanks for joining us all on The Georgine Rice Show. Georgine has the day off. I'm Mike Lee. Pastor Greg Laurie is our very special guest. Greg, some of the people you talk about in the book obviously have already passed on. Which of them is at the top of the list of who you'd like to meet and have a conversation with if that were possible? Yeah, that's a really good question. I wish, oh my, there's so many, so many. I think of Janis Joplin, very talented young lady, harassed, made fun of when she was a young girl, extraordinarily talented, died so young, 27. I wish I could have sat down with her and said, Janice, God loves you. And even if others don't love you as they ought to, you are loved by the Lord and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. I wish I could have sat down with John Lennon and said, John, 
You need to just follow Jesus. You've made a profession of faith in him. Now you need to just grow in your faith spiritually and continue on to discover all that God has in store for you. I wish I could have sat down with Jimi Hendrix, in my opinion, the greatest guitar player who ever lived. Uh, By accounts of people that knew him, he was a kind person. He was a humble person. But he was a man who was searching as well. And I just wish I could have told these people that there's a God in heaven who loved them and had a plan for their life. I wish I could tell them that their life matters and so many people care so deeply about them. And uh, I can't tell them that, unfortunately. But I can talk to people who are alive today who maybe are despondent who maybe have thought about taking their lives, some who have even attempted to take their lives and say, look, this is not the way you want to go. Here's the way you want to go. You want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and discover his plan for your life and get to know him. And then you'll have that happiness and that peace that you've longed for throughout your entire life. Well, Pastor Greg, what are you hoping the reader takes away from this book that you've titled, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. I hope they take away this simple thought. No one is beyond the reach of God. I don't care how famous they are. I don't care how powerful they are or what they've accomplished. Everyone needs Jesus. There's something to keep in mind. Everybody is empty. The Bible says that the creation was made subject to emptiness. That's King James for there's sort of a hole in our life. The Bible says God has put eternity in our hearts, which means we're on a search for God. Listen, you may see a person drive by in a Rolls Royce, they're empty. Another person drives by in a Prius, they're empty. Uh, One person has a beautiful home, they're empty. Someone has a simple little shack they live in, they're empty. Everybody's empty. Number two, everybody's lonely. No matter how many fans you have or how many friends you think you have or how many followers you have on social media, You're lonely. And really, there's a loneliness in your heart for God himself. Thirdly, everyone's afraid to die. Oh, I know some people say, oh, I'm looking forward to dying. No, they're not. They're afraid to die. And lastly, I would say, everybody just needs Jesus. So rock stars, movie stars, billionaires, unknown people, people that can't play two chords and a guitar, everybody needs Jesus. So this book shows that those who've been there and done that have still found that's not the answer. And some of them made wrong decisions and reaped the consequences. Some of them made right decisions and got on the road that leads to life and started following Jesus Christ. So my hope is when you read this book, you'll say, this gives me hope for my son or daughter. This gives me hope for my husband or wife. This gives me hope for that crazy neighbor that's always giving me a hard time. Oh, this gives me hope for my boss or my coworker or my friends from my past. But also I would encourage you, this would be a great book after you've read it to share with someone that's not yet a believer. At the end of the book, as always, I present the gospel and I even have a prayer that a person can pray to accept Jesus Christ. Let's talk to somebody who may be listening right now, maybe a young person who really, really, really wants to be famous or wealthy or adored by a stadium full of fans. So many young people want to be a TikTok sensation or a YouTube influencer. Drawing on the insight in this new book, what's your message to them? 
Well, so many of these artists of days gone by that have become iconic didn't have social media in their day. But they had it all. They had massive success, global fame. You know, they had private jets and Bentleys and mansions and yachts and (laughs) you name it, they had it. But they saw that wasn't the answer. And I think of stories I've read even recently of young influencers, young people who have had great success on social media platforms and have taken their own lives And it just doesn't make any sense to us. But in a way, it makes total sense. Because if you think that fame or having more followers or having more people know your name will make you happy, you're going to be very disappointed when you reach that pinnacle and find it is not the answer. So what I want to say to those folks is Christ is the answer. Now, God may bless you with success. God may bless you with fame. God may bless you with other things, but don't make that the sole purpose of living. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, to live is Christ. For some people, if they were honest, they would say to live is possessions. Their motto would be, he who dies with the most toys wins. I would just add to that. He who dies with the most toys wins, dot, 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 nothing. Another might say, for me to live is success. Well, yes, you can have success. But Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Somebody else might say, I live for this other thing. Live for Christ. Put God first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In context, he was talking about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear. God will take care of all of the needs of your life, but don't make those things the focus of your life. Make Christ the focus of your life. And if you do, you'll find the meaning of life. You know, Pastor Greg, a lot of the ground you cover in this new book is centered around the 60s and the 70s, that unique era in American history, which you also address in your upcoming movie, Jesus Revolution. How does this book fit in with the larger projects you've been working on? Well, I've always been a fan of music. I like movies. I like music. I like television. You know, I I like all of these things. I'm interested in them. But I also want to bring Christ to people in these worlds. That's why we make movies. We've done films like A Rush of Hope, which reached millions of people. We're making a new movie right now that we're actually calling Fame. And in that film, I interview Alice Cooper, Daryl Strawberry, and others, people who have had the great success in life and have found that's not the answer, but Christ is the answer. So all of these projects I work on, uh, from A Rush of Hope or this upcoming feature film, Jesus Revolution, are bridges, bridges to walk over and tell stories. You know, it's interesting. I think the time we're living in right now really parallels 1970, the late 60s, early 70s. We have turmoil in the world. We have the threat of war. We've had race riots in our street. We've had the effects of drug use. We've had the rise of crime. All things we were experiencing in the late 60s and early 70s. It's even funny to me as I see young people today who have rediscovered vinyl and they're playing these old records we used to listen to the first time. You see kids hanging out, you know, in hipster coffee shops wearing Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd uh, designs on their shirt or talking about the Beatles as though they're a current band. It's hilarious. So there is a cultural connection. 
And I think when we make this film, Jesus Revolution, which is basically set in 1970 and 71, it will speak to a generation alive today. It will connect to them because we were dealing with a lot of the same issues they're dealing with right now. So I'm looking to build bridges. That's why I write books like Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, or I make movies like A Rush of Hope and Fame and Jesus Revolution, and we have our events in stadiums and arenas because we want to reach people that don't know the Lord. Jesus did not say the whole world should go to church, but he did say the church should go to the whole world. I want to go to where people are and reach unexpected people in unexpected places in unexpected ways with the gospel that can change their life. Well, we've been talking to Pastor Greg Laurie about his brand new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Pastor Greg, how can listeners find out more about the book and how can they get a copy for themselves? Well, you can order it from us through our ministry, harvest.org. Just go to our website and you can get the book from us. You can also order it from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or many other websites that will be carrying it or go down to your local bookstore and ask for a copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. As they see in the commercials, you'll find it wherever fine books are sold. Thank you so much, Pastor Greg Laurie. Make sure to listen to A New Beginning every weekday morning at 6 on 93.9 KPDQ. Coming up next, Brooke Goldsby serves as President and Executive Director of Salem Angels, wrapping community around children, youth, and families in the foster care community. Sitting in, I'm Mike Lee, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Sitting in, I'm Mike Lee, and you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Welcome, Brooke Goldsby. How are you today? I am good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. And could you tell us your official title with Salem Angels and give us your elevator pitch? What is Salem Angels all about? All right. I am executive director with Salem Angels, and we are intentional on wrapping support around the foster care community with intentional giving, relationship building, and mentorship. And so we have two programs that we uh, make space for them and bring volunteers into their lives and bring that support to them through the Love Box program and the Dare to Dream mentorship program. Well, that's wonderful. So what exactly is involved with a Love Box through Salem Angels? A Love Box is going to be a family or a group could be a book club, a group from church, a small business, any group of people, six to ten people that are going to come alongside this family and sometimes literally fill a box. And things that they need, a main leader of the group is going to be connecting with the foster mom or dad and understanding what the needs are that month. And sometimes it can fit in a box, sometimes it doesn't. It could be they need their lawn mode or work day at the house, so the group comes and cleans the yard, cleans the gutters, whatever that family is in need of and that they can focus on keeping track and care of the kids and all the appointments and all the things. And then the Love Box group can also help with getting kids to classes or extra appointments that are needed, um, driving time, take them to the park, have a date night, all kinds of things. It's just 
connecting and building relationship with that family to understand what they need to help them keep saying yes to foster care and keeping their doors open. So maybe or maybe not, you and your family might be called to be a foster family. But even if you're not, there are ways that you can contribute to other foster families through the Love Box program. So, Brooke, has anyone ever really opened your eyes to do something cool and unusual in the Love Box program? Cool and unusual. Um, I think understanding this one single mama's need had five children and yes, they receive income from the state, but not enough for those extras. And they wanted to give this single mom and girls a fun summer. So they bought them a pool membership for the summer. And that was their gift, like at the beginning of the summer. And they got access to the summer pool. I bet that pool membership was just a wonderful experience for that family. Highlight for them. What a great idea. I know. <laughs> Sky's the limit. Thinking like you can out really of the do box anything. for the love box. Yep. Very neat. So what kind of numbers do you have to share with us and what are your goals? Well, Oregon as a whole has 6,000 children. We are focusing in Salem with Marion and Polk, and that's 600 children in the foster care community. And so any family that wants care, our goal is to make sure we can provide that. So right now, we are serving 35 families. That's about 129 children. We have eight families on the wait list. So we need volunteers. And I love spreading the word. That's that's one of our goals, just communicating the need that these families need the support and looking for volunteers that want to come alongside these families and serve with them. So tell us about the Dare to Dream program from Salem Angels, Brooke. Yes, Dare to Dream is our mentorship program. And that's just a one-on-one relationship. And we have one thus far. We got the Love Box started a year ago. And then we got the Dare to Dream started just a couple months ago. And we have one young man in that program, and it's been an incredible match of the two of them together. How wonderful. So are there certain qualifications, age limits, or prerequisites for someone interested in at least having a conversation about the Dare to Dream program? The Dare to Dream, you do have to be 21 or older, because some of these youth are 18, 19. They're starting to age out, so we want a couple years difference. I think that's a good idea. We Mm -hmm. have a lot of well-meaning people who can help out in other ways until they're old enough to have that mentorship role. For sure. So throw some crazy ideas against the wall, Brooke Goldsby. What do you think might be a boon for Salem Angels when it comes to helping out fostering families in our community? Any wild and crazy ideas, events, fundraisers, programs, items to donate in the love box? Yes, yes. Last year, we just heads down, started getting matches for these families and getting them supported. This year, we are having so much fun. We are planning a big summer bash uh, for all the families. We've been able to have a mom's dinner just this last week for our moms for Mother's Day. Next month for Father's Day, we're having bowling and 
Adam's Ribs. And that's going to be amazing, our local Salem Adam's Ribs. Uh huh. And so just being able to bring them all together, bring us together. We want our families to know us. We want to know them. We're bringing our volunteers all together with them so that they can really build this community together. And then with fundraising, we're doing sip and shares is one of our fun things that I'm doing that one person could say, hey, I want to gather eight to 10 friends. I want to share about what you guys are doing. And they'll host and I'll come and share share the word, what we are doing and promote us that way. That sounds like a lot of fun, Brooke. Yep. So do many of these fostering families hang out with each other on a regular basis? There is so much on their plates that I don't think there's a lot of time, um, but that's what we want to build. So we've had a handful of mom nights. Uh, We've had parent night out. They could choose to go together, but then we're bringing all the kids together and letting them play together. Um, and mom and dad can kind of get a date night or single mom or dad gets just some free time of quietness. So Brooke Goldsby, president and executive director of Salem Angels. Tell me what put foster children on your heart in the first place? We were almost done with raising our three olders. And I was in a program that cared for young children in a drug and alcohol rehabilitation program. And long story short, we ended up bringing a little guy into our home to foster just for a little while. We were in our 50s. We we started over, though, again. When God placed him in our life, we knew that he was to be ours forever, and we adopted him two years later. Oh, how wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Make sure to follow Salem Angels on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find out Many great details at the website SalemAngels.org. More with Brooke Goldsby next. I'm Mike Lee, and this is The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm Mike Lee filling in with the president and executive director, Brooke Goldsby from Salem Angels. Make sure to follow Salem Angels on Instagram and Facebook. And they've got wonderful information at the website, SalemAngels.org. That's SalemAngels.org. Long story short, we ended up bringing a little guy into our home to foster just for a little while. So, Brooke, can you tell us, had you expected that? Wasn't this just a, a temporary fostering gig for you? How long did you really expect that to last? A couple years at the most. And we were just going to step in for a bit. We knew the situation. We knew the family. And so we thought we can do anything for a little while. And then as it became time, we knew that God said, or you can make him your own. And we did. Well, congratulations. How wonderful. Yep. I bet having a little around will keep you and your husband younger. Keeping us young. That's our motto. Keeping us young. So what's the age gap between your older children and your now adopted son. So there's 14 years between our, he's almost eight, and then our 21-year-old. Oh, I love it. So what did your kids, who were pretty much at the adult stage when you fostered mm-hmm. this boy, what were their thoughts? They loved it. They adored him. Our oldest was already off to college, but 
just an hour away. So he knew him. And then our next daughter, she was about to graduate from high school. She thought she was going to be a teacher. And from the time with him, she changed her whole major. And she went into social welfare as well. And then our youngest, she just adores children. And so she was home the longest with him for a couple years. And they just have great relationship with them. And he adores them, his older brother and sisters and all family. So I'm curious about your youngest natural born child. Was she excited to all of a sudden have a younger sibling for the first time in her life? Yeah, yeah. How'd she adjust she, to that? Or she what did, did you well. Grow from her as a result. I think just an empathy and sympathy for these families and these children and understanding the needs. She got to see what he experienced. He was young, but he still understood something was different. We weren't his norm. And so she got to see that hands on and understand the care and support that is needed of these children and the extra care on our part and training that we needed to receive. Children come from trauma. And so it's another level of training that we needed to bring into our lives and take the time to get that as well. And she walked through that with us too. She went to the classes with us and it was amazing. How wonderful. Brooke Goldsby, president and executive director of Salem Angels, Wrapping community around children, youth, and families in the foster care community through intentional giving, relationship building, and mentorship. So congratulations on your surprise extra child, Brooke. <laughs> Thank you. If there are people listening today, maybe they played the game of life successfully on paper, and they don't know what God's calling them to next. Do you have any suggestions about those who might be prayerfully considering helping out the foster system, whether it's through a love box through Salem Angels, or maybe prayerfully considering actually becoming a foster family, whether it's temporary or even, in your case, permanent. Yes, that's where God started calling us out into the community and having a greater desire to meet the community needs and getting outside our own little walls and and it all changed. And for us, I think, too, with being able to realize the needs out there, and even if you're not called to foster, becoming a volunteer with an organization like us is so amazing because even if you have thought it, becoming part of a Lovebox group to come alongside this family is incredible to kind of see, like be respite care. And take the kids to the park. You can have relationship with these kids and you can kind of get to know, could I do this on a regular basis? Could we open our home? This has been amazing. Or do we want to continue just to be that family for the foster family and walk alongside them? Because they're very much called to do it. And so either way, it's such a win-win. You can support them or God keeps calling you can serve in a greater capacity and open your home to the children as well. Mike Lee here with the President and Executive Director, Brooke Goldsby from Salem Angels. Make sure to follow Salem Angels on Instagram and Facebook. And they've got wonderful information at their website, 
SalemAngels.org. That's SalemAngels.org. So, Brooke, can you tell us where are most of these kids coming from that end up in the foster system? Typically broken homes that families didn't have the care as they were growing up. It's a cyclical cycle that keeps falling into place. And so then when they don't have the support to start raising children and they're having children early, (laughs) there's brokenness. And so their children end up removed from their homes and into the foster care. And so there's many reasons. Can't, Can't specify all, but typically these families that just need that support that didn't have it early on and they can't keep caring for their children. With the amount of homelessness that we've seen, it seems to be more prevalent since the pandemic, or at least more noticed by a lot of people since the pandemic. Are there many kids ending up in the foster system that have experienced homelessness? Absolutely. The statistic is that 50% of our homelessness have spent time in the foster community. And we want to help break that cycle. If we can step back a little bit, get these families supported, have these children that are starting to age out get matched with a mentor to start speaking their worth what they're capable of. They all have dreams and hopes. We want to help them reach their highest potential to become a great part of society and give back to it. And we want to mentor that and speak that into their lives to do so, to break that cycle of homelessness. That's wonderful. What are you doing with Salem Angels, Brooke? So can you tell us, are there certain areas of the Pacific Northwest that have more needs than others when it comes to kids falling through the cracks? I don't know that anything is more prone to another, you know, larger cities, of course, I think will tend to have more just in numbers. Um, I said there's 600 children in the Marion and Polk counties. And so 6,000 in all of Oregon So that's a lot of children and families to serve. And so we're taking care of Marion and Polk. And if we can continue to speak this out, you can open a chapter in your area. So we need chapters all over the state of Oregon to best serve these families and children. And are there certain cities, towns, counties in particular that – are woefully hurting when it comes to lack of help for the foster system? I haven't heard of one specific, but again, I would think the whole from Yamhill up into Clackamas, Multnomah, all the Portland area, the bigger region, is going to be more affected and need more of the help. Details at the website SalemAngels.org. More with the president and executive director, Brooke Goldsby, next. My name is Mike Lee, filling in on The Georgian Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. This is Mike Lee in for Georgine. Brooke Goldsby serves as President and Executive Director of Salem Angels, wrapping community around children, youth, and families in the foster care community over your tenure leading Salem Angels. Do any stories or children or families stand out in your mind and feel free to leave the details out or 
names to protect anyone you need to. For sure. My case managers are in the heart and the thick and the day-to-day of it all, but they have been able to keep myself and our board in the forefront with these families. And there are so many families that are saying we are having the help that we have so desired. And one family was about to close their doors and they were able to keep their doors open because of the help that they were getting. The key is consistent support. We're built for relationship and we're going to be intentional on that when we match a love box group or a mentor with a youth or a family. And even just in this time of, have you heard of the shortage of formula? There has been a huge, there was a recall of a certain formula. And so we had one of our families, so many of these ones with littles are on formula. And so they reached out and we were able to connect with their love box group and said, hey, what's your day look like? We understand there's a big shipment coming into the Eugene Costco. They had friends in Eugene, sent their friend, got there at 10 a.m. at opening and got as many cans of formula that they could. And so this love box reached out to their people to help meet their love box group need of this formula. And they're doing well. And so it's just little things. That's not a little thing. That's a huge, it's the baby's food source. But there's such tangible ways to come alongside them in a moment of need that these groups can just hear that need and come alongside and help remedy that. That's wonderful, Brooke Goldsby. So give us a little bit of background about yourself. You'd mentioned you were happily married. You had three kids entering adulthood before you felt led to foster a child that you have since adopted. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's a great story. Mm -hmm. So congratulations on that. So let's backtrack a little and find out more about Brooke Goldsby. Where'd you grow up, Brooke? I grew up in North Bend, Oregon. Which always confuses me because it has nothing to do with Bend, Oregon. No, the beach, (laughs) not the mountain. Mm -hmm. And when did your faith become your own? Did you grow up in a church-going family? I did. Yeah, it's what I've known. But after college... You know, everybody has their their times of figuring out adult life. And then I just, I knew that I wanted to continue to serve him and whatever ways that that looked like and whatever he called me to within my life. And so our three started having children and we homeschooled our three up till high school. And then they went into high school and continued to to show them our faith and, and live that out with them. And as God really started speaking in that stretching, I think you need to get out of your box a little bit and into your community and find out what some needs are. And we did so. And he led us to this. And so then after that time, as we adopted Dre, we just knew we were still supposed to care for the foster community. And we didn't know what that looked like and were we to foster more Where our little guy was at the time, we didn't feel that was the best, but we really understood the need of support um, with these for these families. And my now vice president, she had fostered and adopted as well. And we just started connecting and seeing what was already out there. And 
I ended up at a foster adoption conference in Seattle area, and Seattle Angels was there and contacted them and quickly realized it was a national organization, contacted the national one, and here we are. So by all means, feel free to boast on your vice president and the rest of your staff at Salem Angels. So your vice president, like you, also started to foster? Yes. It seems like a similar story. It is very much so, though we are opposite and we had olders and then fostered and adopted. They were newly married and started fostering. And then as they got older, then they had their biologicals. So their two younger are the same age as our adopted and our younger adopted, they have older adopted. So it's just been a fun. So now that you've seen both ends of the spectrum, Brooke, what are your thoughts when it comes to birth order of your children i mean in your case yours wasn't affected because you had already had your kids they you just added a bonus son at the end of the game but in your vice president's case they turned that model upside down by fostering first before having biological children so do you have any advice or input on what goes either way i don't think so i think bottom line is listening to when and where you're called. For us, it was much later, and we answered that call. For them, it was early on in their marriage, and they were to answer the call, and they did. And I love for ours that they were a little older and were able to see, wow, there's more outside our little world. There's a whole hurting world out there, and it changed their view of the world, too. Can you tell us what might make a good volunteer? Anybody with a big heart. (laughs) There is no written job description for this. But if you have a heart for people and to walk alongside and to share your time, your talent, your treasure, to give to youth and to families, one of our, I'm not going to get the phrase right, but Somebody has said, oh, that can be hard and it'll break my heart. And yes, it may, but that's that's who we need. We need eyes to be open and hearts to be broken for the children and families that are doing amazing and beautiful but hard work in their yes to fostering and for us to be able to come alongside them and be willing for a broken heart to give the shoulder to cry on and to give that encouragement on a daily, weekly, monthly basis for them, or a mentor to be that person. We all have those people in our lives that we've said, oh, that person that made the difference, and we're there. And if you could be that one person that makes a difference in that child's life to make a change, to make a turn in as they enter adult world and make big choices that they need extra hand and shoulder to enter the world. Brooke, do you think sometimes we sell ourselves short when it comes to our abilities that we think to ourselves, well, I'm not that perfect person. I don't have my time, resources, career, living situation, finances together. I couldn't be of help to a a poor kid. We will all never have it all together. And thankfully, we can 
come to the end of ourselves and get our strength. My hope and my strength comes from God, and we are able to do what we are called in. But if we were all waiting to be perfect, none of us would be doing hardly any of the work that we do. And so don't put yourself there. I think we get perfected through the fire. That's how we how gold is refined. And so jump into the fire and be willing to get perfected. Like I think that happens with trial. Like we all gain wisdom and knowledge and strength and become more who we're to be as we go through the hard things. So whether we become a foster family or surround a foster family with love, help, and support and resources, we're able to do what we do. We don't have to sit back and say, I'm not good enough because at least we can help out a little bit here or a little bit there. And if God calls us to the big change, which would be taking in a child, maybe even adopting as you have, Brooke, then he'll provide and he'll make it clear and he'll grant us a wisdom and a clarity about what he's calling us to do step by step. Exactly. So we don't have to let things overwhelm us, if I'm hearing you correctly. Amen. That's exactly right. And we all as parents, it's hard, even biological children, you know, it's parenting is hard and we find the books and all the things we need and others that have gone before us. And so we're just extending that to these families to build relationship and extending that support and resource to come alongside. And we will fail. We have not been the perfect parents (laughs) by any means. And it is tough, but we will be able to get through. Make sure to follow Salem Angels on Instagram and Facebook. More with Brooke Goldsby next on The Georgine Rice Show. Georgine has the day off. I'm Mike Lee. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Thanks for joining us all on The Georgine Rice Show. This is Mike Lee in for Georgine with the President and Executive Director Brooke Goldsby from Salem Angels. Make sure to follow Salem Angels on Instagram and Facebook. And they've got wonderful information at the website, SalemAngels.org. That's SalemAngels.org. So do you have any personal stories of great challenges or great testimonies of what God's done through you and Salem Angels? I don't know that I have any huge story, but just the willingness just to be where we were and starting over and researching what was provided, what was in our community, and to keep looking until we found the Seattle Angels. And so I think it's just the willingness to start again in in whatever capacity that God speaks. And so we were done. Our youngest was 16. And so we just knew there there was more. What's what's the next 50 years look like, you know? And so then he's just used me. I was not a speaker. I wasn't out standing on a platform to tell anything (laughs) and was just living life. And then as I found this, then it's put me 
on those platforms to spread the word and advocate for these families. Well, it's funny you say that you're not used to being a speaker in front of people, but you seem such a natural to me. Brooke, can you tell us about the first time you brought this up in conversation with your husband? Did God put the prospects of fostering or adoption on your hearts at the same time, or did some convincing need to be done? I think we were both at different places at different times. I remember this clearly. When the decision to bring Dre into our home for the short time that we thought, that was pretty much a no-brainer. Because the mentality was, it's just a temporary thing. It's like dog sitting. Not to equate children with animals, mind you, but you saw a finish line. It wasn't going to be a life changer for more than a couple of months or so. Months, right. And so that was just absolutely, we will do this. We will open our home. We can do this. We've still got two of our girls home. They'll help. Family thing. We can do this. Well, and then as he became adoption status, then everything changed. Then the conversations and the prayers began. And it was truly dual. Like at one time, I would say, okay, babe, can we do this? Do we want to start again? And he'd be like, what? <laughs> We're done. And or almost. And then he would he would be there. The next day, he'd be like, okay, we can do this. We're being called to it. We'll be equipped. We've got the training. We will do this. And I'd be like, I thought I was there. No, I don't know that I'm ready. And then there was a specific moment that we knew we were on a date and got a call and knew that was our answer. We were asking for the writing in the sky kind of thing, and it wasn't writing in the sky, but it was very ordained, and and we knew at that moment we were to say yes, and we said yes together. So thankfully, Brooke Goldsby, at that stage, both you and her husband had become one on the same page. Yes. You were both all in. For sure. Do you think it would have worked out differently had it only been one of you kind of nudging the other into the decision? It absolutely can. Uh, we've heard those stories over and over. One's more ready than another, and it does work as well. Again, willing, God will provide, and he will, he will move in hearts and minds and do all the things that are needed to be on the same page. But yeah, it's not always exactly on the same page. And God can work with that. And that is what's great about this Love Box program, too, is that if one isn't on the page, isn't ready, you can say, hey, what if we went and supported a family? And then we could kind of see what fostering looks like. And then we could make a decision later. What needs do you have as an adoptive family of a foster kid that might go unseen? What are we missing? What is the church failing to do for foster families? I think just the depth of trauma that will be with our son for the rest of his life. And again, that perfection will never reach it till we're home. You know, that the understanding that we need to not parent the same way and to understand that behavior that is coming out is an underlying wound that is trauma that you never know what may cause it to a smell of a person that looks like his biological mom or dad. Like we will never know that what that trigger may be. And so to 
you kind of feel like you always have to be ready. And I wouldn't say don't let that make you feel not able as well because it will it will work. Again, if you're being called, it will work. And just the understanding of what he will live with for the rest of his life. You could have the perfect set of parents or person or community that wraps themselves around a child or family. But there's a trauma there that they will always be there. And we have to keep ourselves equipped reading the trauma-informed care books, keeping yourself in light of that knowledge, um, and, and then educating people in that. It is hard. You see things in Sunday school and stuff. The kids that are having a hard time, there's a reason. It's not just because they're choosing to make a bad choice or not want to behave. There's something there that we need to come alongside and ask questions and meet that need. So this is doable, but it's certainly not always going to be easy. Mm-mm. Brooke, you mentioned the term trauma several times, and I had the privilege of interviewing Jeff and Tara Matson, a pair of Christian counselors before, and they are trained trauma-informed counselors. So could you give us your take of the term trauma-informed? What does that mean to you? It means that you are becoming aware of behavior is from trauma and the life experiences that they have walked through. Yes, we can all have trauma even in a biological family and all of that. And there there are things that everyone goes through from a hard birth. Like that's trauma. Um, so there's many things. Um, but a lot of times in a healthier family, it might be a one-time trauma. Whereas for children in the foster community, there's ongoing, either neglect or abuse, or then they are with the parents and then they're not with the parents. And then they're moved to another home or just the back and forth that because of this world that they're part of keeps reminding them of what they've had to walk through. It's amazing what we can take for granted that some of these poor kids have never had when it comes to stability. So we had a great view of your vision and your heart, not only with Salem Angels, but also as a foster mom who has become an adoptive mom. Mm -hmm. So about the organization Salem Angels, do you have any immediate needs? Are you looking for staffers or volunteers? Yes, we have eight families on our wait list right now. And so we definitely need more volunteers to come alongside the families. And we have one mentor in our Dare to Dream program. And so we would love to build the Dare to Dream program and serve the the youth. We've got 11 to 14-year-olds for the Dare to Dream Junior program, and then 15 and aging out is just the Dare to Dream. And so we need volunteers, number one. That's what we are here for. And so to have people come alongside. And then we are a nonprofit organization, and so we raise our own funds. And so we're always looking for one-time gifts or we have uh, what we call Angel Alliance, and that's our recurring donors. And that could be a monthly, quarterly, any recurring amount. And to continue to build our programs without the funds 
we'll need more case managers, more staff to keep building our programs. So maybe God stirred something in your heart. Please give Brooke Goldsby a call. She is the president and executive director of Salem Angels, available at 503-689-3141. That's 503-689-3141. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And more details are available at the website SalemAngels.org. That's SalemAngels.org. Brooke, thank you so much for your heart of service, especially to the foster care community. And on our way out, is there anyone you want to say hi to or send a shout out to? To my team, my staff and my board. You guys are an incredible support and encouragement to me, and I couldn't do this without you. Donations to the nonprofit group Salem Angels are tax deductible. So one more time, that website address, which I'll leave on the Difference Makers page at truetalk100.com, is salemangels.org. Thank you so much, Brooke Goldsby and Salem Angels. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Thanks for joining us all on The Georgine Rice Show. This is Mike Lee in for Georgine. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.